The Law Report with Tyrone Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're focusing on rental property law and conveyancing. And joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening are Marlon Chevalu. He's an attorney practicing as Marlon Chevalu and Associates in Cape Town. And Frank Holland, an attorney and conveyancer practicing in Cape Town as Frank Holland and Associates. Welcome to you both. Uh, nice to see you both. Beginning of a new year. I can't believe we're in 2014, but hello. Welcome. Thanks, Karen. Going to be a good one. I Indeed so. it is. Thanks, Colin. I nice to be so. back. Evening to all the listeners. Well, if you have any questions or comments on property law or on conveyancing, give us a call on 0892-10-2010. The Law Report with Tyron Key. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're talking rental property law again this evening, but we'll also be taking a look at conveyancing. Now, just to explain a little bit about what conveyancing is all about, it's the legal process whereby ownership in immovable South African property is transferred from one person to another, as well as related aspects such as the registration of mortgage bonds and real rights in respect of immovable property. Now, immovable property is any land, whether improved or not, such as a dwelling, a house, a farm, a vacant earth, or a sectional title unit. And a conveyancing transaction involves a number of steps, which normally begins with the deed of sale and continues through to the registration of transfer of ownership or the registration of the mortgage bond in the deeds office, the reconciliation of finances, and the ultimate payment of the purchase price to the seller. The conveyancer is an attorney with a postgraduate qualification who by law is the only person who can register property transactions in the deeds office, and that's who Frank Holland is. So, gentlemen, good evening. Um, right, Marlon, before we begin, we have to say congratulations. Would you like to tell the listeners about your fabulous award? Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> now, recently, our, our firm was uh, selected by um, an international magazine, Corp International, which has a, a readership of about 150,000 a month around the world and they nominated us uh, from a shortlist as the consumer law firm of the year in South Africa so it's a wonderful accolade um, something I'm indebted to my entire firm for and my family and uh, we'll be very happy to have that accolade behind our name and we're going to make sure that for 2014 we remain the top consumer law firm in the country. Well, so. you do your bit on the show every month when you come in here, helping the consumers or the listeners as they are. Absolutely. But, uh, so thank you for that. It's nice to have you. such a famous and well-rewarded person on the show. Thank Indeed. You. Still no charge for the advices tonight. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Before we actually begin with our phone calls, I've got two emails that came in this afternoon. One is from Thomas. He says... I rent my flat out to tenants on a month-to-month -month lease. However, I want my flat back as I suspect they're damaging my property. Am I obliged to give them a reason as to why I'm giving them notice? Uh, absolutely not. Month-to-month -month leases are what we call periodic leases. They used to be called common law leases, but what it basically means is if there is a lease on a month-to-month -month basis, all that you need to give is a consecutive calendar month's notice. So it's got to be on the first of a month to leave by the end of that particular month. You can't give on the 15th of a month to leave the following 15th of the next month. So first of the month, no reason is necessary because any lease on a month-to-month -month basis can be terminated on a month-to-month -month basis. And you have to give no reason whatsoever. No reason. The tenant reciprocally can also give a month's notice to leave. Right. So, All Thomas, good. pretty simple. Don't have to say why you want them to leave. You can just tell them, but make sure you do it on the first of the month. 
which on this month coming, I think, is on Saturday. So if you want him to leave on the end of February, you can give them notice. On, can you do it on a weekend, by the way? You can do it on a weekend, but I would not. I'd rather do it on a what we call a, a working day. So I would do it on a Friday, which is the day before. So maybe the, whatever the Friday Just is. Just for belts and braces. Otherwise, okay. if you give it on the 2nd of February, for example, or on the weekend, and it's not deemed to be a working day, they have to leave the end of March. <gasps> oh, it can actually delay it by an entire month. Absolutely. So, so the, you give notice on the first or before. Correct. Okay. So you can you can give notice tomorrow, for example, and say you need to be out by the end of February. Correct. As long as it's not after the first. Correct. Okay, as long as it's before. Oh, well, there you go. You've all learned something. I've also learned something now. Right. The next email is from Louis. He says, "I'm selling my property to settle the bond account, but the bank is giving me a month before it also does the same." Now I'm assuming that this is a sale and execution. I've done improvements on the house, which I don't want to lose. Which, if the bank sells his house, I'm assuming he would not get the price that he would like for it. He says, can I make the bank allow me to finalize the sale, even if it's after the deadline they set? So I think what he's trying to say is that there is a sale in execution, say, for example, at the end of February. But he doesn't think he's going to personally be able to sell the house by then. So can he make the bank just wait until he does? I think that's how I'm reading this. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's what he's saying. He, he can't make the bank do anything he does. the bank doesn't <laughs> want to do. I'll, I'll pass it over to Frank. Yeah, Marlon, you're 100% right. He can't make the bank, but... Um, my advice certainly would be to negotiate with the bank and explain to them that you, you, you intend to market the property and to sell it on the open market, which almost invariably will uh, yield a higher purchase price. It would be better to sell it that way. Um, and ask the bank for a bit of a respite before they execute on the judgment to allow him to market the property, whether it's himself uh, privately or via an estate agent, to achieve a higher purchase price, which of course is in his interest and the bank's interest. Would they? I've never heard of a bank doing that, though. Are they open to the negotiation or the discussion? It's uh, it's a David and Goliath story, okay. but uh, it it you know it can be done with uh, appropriate correspondence and and hopefully finding the right contact person at the bank. Um, certainly, you know, one can ask the bank just to hold off on their process. But don't leave it. I would suggest that Louis goes and speaks to them as soon as possible. Engage with the mm. bank, Louis, 100%. Don't leave it. Uh, don't embark on a course of action yourself without speaking to them. In- engage with the bank and take it from there. The problem, of course, is that if a person attends a sale and execution, invariably the price that they'll pay for that property will be a lot less than it being purchased in a private sale. So it's going to take some clever negotiation to keep the bank at bay because I would rather wait for the sale and execution and snap it up at a next Well, you would, price. but Louis wants to get the most out of it because Absolutely. obviously the bank is really just trying to sell it for what he, Louis would owe them, I would imagine. Of course. But they don't really mind who, how much extra he no, gets. But, but Louis those wants sales, the extra well, you know, it's, it's, If you can get in a private sale, optimally, that would be the best thing for Louis. But those who attend the sales are looking to score a bargain. Well, I don't so. think Louis really cares about you people wanting to go to the sale, Marlon. <laughs> <clears throat> Quite honestly. I mean, Louis wants to, as he said, he's made lots of improvements to the house. So he wants the best price he possibly can get. I know, go to the auction sale, you are going to get a good deal. But for the seller or the person whose house is being sold... You don't want it there. No, it's not such a good deal. So, Louis, as um, we've said, go and speak to the bank. Go, Maybe they're open to negotiation. It's always worth a shot. Never, never, you know, a problem to try something. Just a reminder, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guests tonight are Marlon Chevalier, an attorney practicing in Cape Town, as Marlon Chevalier and Associates, and Frank Holland, an attorney and conveyancer, also practicing in Cape Town, as Frank Holland and Associates. And this evening, we're discussing property law and conveyancing. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 
2010. Joe in the Strand, good evening. Hello, Joe. Joe, are you there? Hello. Oh, there you are. Hello, Joe. Found you. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Uh, we are in a retirement village, me and my husband. Come 2012, we got a, a, a what do you call it? A, a contract, a contract, right? Uh, uh, so uh, it, that ended at uh, uh, the end of uh, 20, it ended in December 2012. Come 2013, we never got, uh, January, we never got a contract. That was January. So we paid the 5-5. Come February, we paid the 5-5. We never heard anything from the agent. Come uh, uh, March, we paid the 5-5. Came April, we paid the 5-5. Then, when we went to the post box, we got a, like, a, a short statement in the post box saying that we must pay 6. And they've added a lot of interest on to that 6 for the January, February, March and April. But we never got a contract from them for 2013. With the result is we went, we paid in the, 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 the amount due to them, the extra 555 for January, March, April, the, uh, for January, February, March, and April. But we did not pay the interest in because we thought, no, we haven't got a contract. They never contacted us. In, in, in our good hard will, we paid in the extra 500 for the four months. But every month since then, we never got a we never got a contract. But ever since then, they keep on sending us SMSs on a Sunday. It comes on a Saturday sometimes, sometimes for Sunday evenings. We get SMSs from the agent to say we must pay in the interest. We must pay in the interest. And, uh, you know, it has been, I've been sick from this my hair's been falling out really uh, I said uh, I, I haven't got a contract for, 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 from them and okay. now it is uh, the end of 2013 they keep uh, on telling us we must pay interest interest for all those months from uh, January up to until December okay. now I want to know from you we, haven't, we never had a contract for 2013 must we pay that interest in and were, were we supposed to pay in all these months for the 12 months at 500 extra okay joe let's, Mar let's ask marlon marlon what do you say look joe if there was a contract and that contract came to an end Yes. What would have happened is that if there was no further contract presented to you, the yes. lease would have continued on a month-to-month -month basis. So it would have been the same terms and conditions, but possibly, and I haven't seen your lease, possibly a 10% increase. So the rental increase is potentially uh, legal. The only problem that I have is the following. In terms of the Consumer Protection Act, Section 14, and I won't go into too much detail, if there is a lease for a year period, and that lease is going to be extended, there's got to be a letter sent to you as the consumer by the landlord or the agent as the supplier. We, we never got any okay. letter, no contact. Okay, Joe, let me just tell you the letter that you should have received. That okay. letter should have said, we're going to give you an opportunity to stay on for another year. This will be the rental. This will be the terms and conditions. Do you want to stay there or do you want to leave? The fact okay. that you didn't get any letter does like not it. entitle them to that increase. 
notwithstanding the fact that they are now charging you that amount. I don't believe they're entitled to the interest. I don't believe they're even entitled to the increase because they haven't complied with the exactly. Consumer Protection Act. So, I, I, but so, Joe, jo, jo, let me just talk, Joe. Joe, you're interrupting from trying to answer you. That extra 500 mm. range. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Can't we, can't we get that back? Joe, let me, as I said, I'm trying to answer your question. The, the, just to carry on the answer, besides that, the fact is that uh, those SMSs that you're receiving, Joe, is actually illegal. The Consumer Protection Act is quite specific as to when you're allowed to receive SMSs. You're not allowed to receive them on the weekend. You're not allowed to receive them after 8 o'clock at night on a weeknight. So okay. the way that this agent is acting is, is quite concerning. I don't want to know who it is. Hopefully I'm not their attorney. But the bottom line is that I believe you've overpaid. I do believe that the landlord has been enriched by this amount. And I do believe you have a claim. Obviously, I need to see your lease. I don't want you to get freaked out or worried. I don't want you to have symptoms which cause your hair to fall out. I mean, that's that's not... It really has. I've been very ill. That's not what it's about. And, and, you know, between you and me, the doctor's bills that you might have to pay now could potentially be something we can claim from them. So, Joe, to be very, very simple, I would need to see that lease. I would need to know who we're dealing with. And they would need to get a letter from a lawyer telling these people that they've acted incorrectly. But right. I'm, I'm and I'm, Marlon, the only problem I have, I haven't, I've, I've been listening to Karen. I, we haven't got email. We've got nothing of that sort. All I want you, please, if you can leave your telephone number, your office number for me, give absolutely. it to me over the phone, or, please, that I can get into in, in contact with you. Joe? All I need is your, uh, your office telephone uh, okay, number. Okay, Joe, what we'll do in, in, during the course of the evening when my producer has a moment when he's not busy on the phone taking the calls, I'll get him to call you and to give you that number this evening so that you can call Marlon tomorrow. Thank you kindly, Carden. Don't okay. worry, Joe, we'll sort you out. Thank you very much for all your help. Uh-huh. I think I can sleep yeah, please. some more sound yes. tonight because I had, I had a very rough year, really. Well, you, you have a good night's sleep and speak to Marlon tomorrow and hopefully you'll feel better after that. Thank you very much. Okay, Thank you Joe, kindly. Have good, good night to you all. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, off to Margate. Mark, good evening. Yes, good evening, Colin. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you doing? I phoned you guys about two or three months ago in connection with um, a trust fund for my daughter, um, and I was recommended to go to the master. Um, I found out that I left it too late. There's a certain period of time. Oh, I remember, I remember this now, yes. You remember that. But anyway, I did phone in again on another matter, and I just wanted to clarify it now. Um, there was the possibility, if the, if the ex-wife, my daughter's mother, is selling the property, that I can put a stop on it in order to recover the trust fund money that was taken out and supposedly invested into this property. Um, you see, the thing is, that when, when my ex-wife inherited some money from her mother, she gambled, I think, 200000 rand at the casino. She lived, like, um, very expensively for quite some considerable time, overspent here, and thus, removed the money from my daughter's account and put it in here. Now, I've done a valuation with a financial friend of mine, and that 350000 for 16 years, which is in four years' time, would be about two or three million rand, which is supposed to be for our education. Where do I legally stand, or who do I talk with? Uh, Mark, okay, you know, the, it's a difficult set of circumstances because effectively to, to recover those funds, the the trust would need to to take action and litigate successfully against uh, your ex-wife, you said it was. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, you See, know... The trust has been closed down a long time ago. It was completely removed and closed mm-hmm. down. And apparently you have to act within two years of finding out the information. And it's yeah. been far longer. That claim's prescribed. Um, 
Mark, uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, it would take, a, I think, a, a, a very uh, wily litigation attorney to fashion some kind of an action from the set of uh, facts that you've presented. But uh, yes. I, I think you're looking at an outside chance of recovery. You know, it sounds like there's been too much water under the bridge, too much time's elapsed. Oh. Uh, I hate to give you that news, but I don't think there's much chance of recovery given the facts you've just presented. Yeah, I, I thought that might be the case. And the, uh, the deposit is already in the account and the um, transfer is taking place at the end of February, beginning of March. Okay, just, just uh, sorry, I need you to take me back a second. The, the, the this is the transfer of the property that was purchased subsequent to the trust being closed down and effectively liquidated, am I correct? Yes. And 350000 of it was my daughter's money. And, which was and, due to her when she was, when she was 18. And when, that, when the trust was closed, did the trust own immovable property? No. It didn't. So those funds no. were simply held in trust? And yes. Uh, and so they, were, they were to mature in 18 years. It was taken out when my daughter was two. She's now 14. And then subsequently, after the, after the funds were... were within, uh, two, within about a month, I found out, after the grandmother's death. It was, it was taken... Well, actually, no. It would have been a bit longer than that. About a month after they moved in here, when they bought this property here in, in Margate. So the property was it then was, purchased with the trust funds? Mm. The no, it wasn't. It wasn't? No, no that was purchased mm. after. After the grandmother's death, with with the funds that the, the daughter inherited, uh, my ex-wife inherited with her funds. She bought a property down here, and then found that she was running around. She gambled quite a considerable amount. Then took the money out of my daughter's trust fund, and supposedly put it in this property for repairs and fixing up. Um. Mark, yeah, so, so look, the, the, the transfer, the, the imminent transfer of the property presents effectively the last opportunity. Um, right. Obviously, once that you know the property is transferred and the and the proceeds dispersed, right. uh, well, you're buying another property in Cape Town with with just paying off debts with with quite a lot of it, and then um, buying a property in Cape Town. Uh, yeah, obviously, first prize would be to approach her on the basis that she. Uh, yeah, but if she's already committed the funds to a property in Cape Town, it's beyond the clutches of your daughter and, and her education fund. Uh, Mark, as I say, you know, this is one for the this is one for the wily litigation guys to get their teeth into. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah. you know... I just thought there may have been a stop on it because because uh, her record is not very good with money anyway, and it really worries me. You know, she, I know she, she's going to leave it to my daughter when she dies, which is going to be way past my daughter's education time. Yeah. Plus... I know her from, from past experience, but once she gets money in her pocket, she will spend. She's got, she won't find a job. She will, she will spend whatever money's left, and that house will go from now. It's gone from a four million down to a two, then it will go to a one, and it will probably end up in a flat somewhere. There would need to be a basis in South African law for an injunction of some sort, but I, I can't see. I mean, has she actually purchased the house in Cape Town, or is that still in negotiation? No, no, that's still going through. But the one so the money will be liquid then to buy that house. Is there nowhere to sort of attach the money before it actually lands in the property in Cape Town? Well, that's Town? what I was trying to think, because uh, I mean, the actual just... transfer isn't taking place for another month. On, on the sale of this property. So, so yeah, exactly. As I say, this is the last opportunity to really... Uh, yeah, I need to get correct. it moving to now. ...interdict those funds. But uh, I think, you know, both Marla and I are looking at each other and, and, and trying to fathom some basis in law upon which those funds can be uh, attached and an interdict could be placed against the transfer of the property or uh, an instruction obtained. Can, a court I, can I just obtained. ask maybe a really stupid question? Was your wife the only trustee of that trust? Yes. 
Oh, there wasn't. So she didn't. So she she had full res, f- sort of responsibility for the money that was there, and she could actually do with it whatever she wanted. Well, it would have seemed so. It would okay. have seemed I thought so maybe there was somewhere. Of, yeah, I thought maybe there was but, somewhere but a lot that of it she used the responsibility. You know, two hundred and fifty thousand rand went to the, to a casino. Now, whether that was my daughter's money or whether she actually did put it in here, I don't know. But uh, I don't know about that. And the usual thing is, I, I don't have the finances to it anyway, and it's very sad. Yeah, I was about mm-hmm. to say the only other problem though is is Mark, if you go to court with this, you could end up spending more than what your daughter's inheritance would have been on the on the legal fees. Sadly, well, it's, exactly, sadly, that's yeah, the case. Exactly, yeah, there's also that. Mark. Oh, he's just that, that was. In, I think the phone was also so upset it just cut him off. That's actually quite sad. I mean, there's yeah problems like that, and as I said, you know, you could end up spending more than what you're trying to recover. It's called a pyrrhic victory. Yes, a pyrrhic victory. That means that you've actually won something, but no... Cost ineffective. Co- yeah, cost ineffective, yeah. It's mm. quite quite sad. Frank, what are, the, are there any sort of tips that people should look out for, especially when it comes to immovable property, buying and selling things? What should we be aware of? Well, you know, yeah, certainly let's, let's talk about the buyer. Um, with Marlon's consumer accolade here, let's, yes. uh, let's, let's look at the consumer being, you know, generally speaking, a buyer. Um, the 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 good old maxim of foot stewards still applies in once off property transactions in South Africa, so buyers uh, beware. That's uh, the good old maxim. Make sure you inspect that property very very carefully. Uh, do silly things, flush toilets, check the taps work. Um, make sure that everything that you see is good structurally. The the the, the dwelling is sound because. Once the contract is signed and the transfer is either imminent or has taken place, uh, your recourse against the seller for anything that's found to be um, lacking in the property that you didn't notice upon inspection uh, is going to land in your lap. But what now? What about the Consumer Protection Act? If somebody's hidden something that they haven't told you, but you discover when it rains that actually everything leaks, well, you couldn't see that if you bought the house in summer. What happens then? Wait, Marlon, I'm going to stop you. Hold on to that. <laughs> Before Marlon sets up on a Consumer Protection Act uh, uh, job here, um, of course, a seller has a duty to disclose latent defects, mm. and a purchaser can bring a successful action against a seller who hasn't disclosed a defect that's latent, such as a leaking roof, Corin just mentioned. But the burden of proof there's a difficult one. You've got to prove that not only the seller knew about the uh, the latent defect, but in fact fraudulently didn't disclose it. So it's a difficult action to succeed with. And um, the bottom line is buyer, look at that property, inspect it, make sure it's what you want. It's got uh, the, the, the requisite characteristics that you're interested in and it's in good condition or the condition in which it and, and, and you factor that into the purchase price so maybe so, winter's a good time to buy a house to make sure nothing leaks may well be <laughs> Marlon tell us about the consumer protection act just, just slightly you know uh, in riding on the back of the accolade um, the fact is that in terms of the consumer protection act they, they don't make a distinction whether it's latent or patent even if the consumer didn't know but you have to be a consumer and you can only be a consumer if the person is a supplier and you can only be a supplier if it's not a once-off transaction so developers for example Oh, they're suppliers of goods and services. But a once-off seller to a once-off purchaser is not a Consumer Protection Act agreement. So invariably, that protection of latent patent falls by the wayside because footstools will have applicability there. So it's a really, really tough one. And Frank will echo my thoughts here about fraudulent misrepresentation to try and prove that a seller was fraudulent to conceal purported defects is, is quite something to prove. 
Oh dear. Well, maybe I just won't be buying a house anytime soon. It just sounds too fraught with. If they want to rent, of stress. course, it's a different story. Well, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> then they can have to phone us and keep asking you what to do. Right, Paul in East London. Good evening. Uh, good evening to you and your panel there. Hi. How can we help, Paul? Um, could I ask you, uh, you know, some questions relating to a family um, who, who purchased a house some ten years ago? Uh, the parents and a daughter. Uh, both uh, invested a certain amount of money, about 50-50% uh, in the property. Uh, the agreement was, which was only a verbal agreement, that the whole family would stay in the property and uh, if the parents died or when the parents died, eventually the property would resort to the, to the, um, the daughter. Um, this, um, you know, worked okay for a period of time. Uh, then all of a sudden the daughter said, no, she now... Uh, wants to increase the rental unilaterally. You know, previously there was a, a um, discussion and an agreement as to who would pay what and how much people would pay. All this carried on until the daughter decided, no, she wanted to either, um, first of all, she said she wanted to sell the property, and then she said, no, she's going to rent the property. The property consists of a house with uh, three bedrooms and then uh, an additional bedroom, which is, um, or a flat, which is downstairs. Um, the parents invested a lot of money in the renovation of the flat and also made a lot of other uh, improvements to the house. Um, the parents also went overseas for a while, and when they were overseas, they, they allowed the daughter to stay upstairs, which is a big part of the house. Previously, the daughter stayed uh, downstairs, and she, at, uh, in the beginning, had no children uh, with her. She had children, but they didn't live with her. She then got her children to live in to move in with her, uh, and then subsequently had another child um, born out of wedlock. And now uh, she, you know, has gone all against the, the agreements that previously took place and is acting unilaterally on everything and making demands and, uh, you know, wanting to change everything. What uh, is the situation with regards to that? Paul, that's a, she's co-ownership at the best of times is tricky. And the set of facts that you've just presented is, well, it's the... It's the stuff soap operas are made of. Um, you know, the just just generally speaking, and, and to all the listeners out there who've heard that, if you're entering into a co-ownership type arrangement, whether it's with family or a friend or whoever, uh, make sure that you document the respective rights and obligations of the parties. Uh, Joe's going to be responsible for the payment of rates and taxes. There'll be a rental, uh, levies, etc., etc., specific contributions in terms of the purchase price record all of those things in an agreement and keep recording things as time passes from what you've just told us it sounds like a great deal of times past improvements have been brought about and now that the relationship between the parties is soured there's uh, a whole lot of gunslinging going on the answer to the problem unfortunately is obviously not a simple one given the fact that we haven't got a record of you know uh, who's put in what. Um, uh, sorry, uh, we have got um, statements and receipts for all the, all the improvements and the investments made. Yeah, Paul, at the end of the day, though, the, um, you know, it, it sounds like a looming court action. Uh, I hate to say it, and, and, and obviously court action between family members is, is uh, particularly heart-wrenching. So uh, unless... Uh, you know, unless the parties can sit around a table and have a discussion over who's to extract what and how this uh, crisis is to be resolved, uh, one of the parties is invariably going to need to approach a court for relief. 
The parents are still alive, I take it, Paul? Yes, yes. And they're living in the house and the daughter's living in the house, but the daughter's trying to make all the rules here. Is that what you say? Correct, yes. Okay. And she owns half the property. That's the problem, yeah. The, the, the other problem, Paul, is that, uh, if I could just put my two cents in, is that if it's going to come down to, to verbal agreement, it's going to come down to the credibility of the people around the table. So matters like this, because I happen to be one of those wily litigators when the, <laughs> when, when the need arises, and it's going to come down to, you know, who is telling the best story, because a civil action yeah. is decided on a preponderance of probabilities, which version is more probable. So it's going to come down to oral evidence and cross-examination and a situation I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. So as Frank said, <laughs> okay. if you can sit around the table to try, concretize the issue and then put something in writing going forward, that'd be prize number one. Prize number two, you're not going to like, because someone's going to lose and someone's going to have to pay those legal fees. Okay. But, but uh, one has got rights and you don't just have to give up and say, okay, well, all. do what you want to do. Not at uh, all. Not at all, eh? But to enforce those rights is where the issue comes in. You have yes. all the rights in the world. Okay. Uh, Fine. Thanks very much. You helped me a great deal. Oh, good luck, Paul. It doesn't Thank sound you. like an easy journey, but good luck to you on that one. Okay, thanks a lot. Good night to you. Bye. Bye-bye. If you have any questions, 0892-10-2010. 0892-10-2010. Charlene in Peter Marisburg, good evening. Good evening to you. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm all right. Just a bit troubled. I'd like to pose a question regarding tenant and landlord, all right? Yes. Um, I am presently like in a situation where um, I have got tenants and um, my buildings have been drawn up or have been put up without a plan. Now, Peter Narritsburg Municipality has ordered me to like sort of drop down my buildings and the problem is that I cannot seem to remove the tenant. The municipality has been to me, they have been, I've been fined, I've I've been to court. My only hassle now is I do not know how to take her out because every time she doesn't seem to pay attention to my notice, she I have been to the police's. There was a case open on criminal injury where she like damaged my windows, and she has done so much to me. It's second month already now for her to get off my property, but now I don't know what to do with her anymore. Um, I have failed. Everything has failed me. Now, can you all give me some suitable advice as to what do I do next? The legal way. What can I? What can well, I do? Uh, Charlene, I'm only going to give you the legal way. I promise you. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to call me in my office for for any other way, it's going to be a huge deposit that you need to pay me. Uh, Charlene, we, we we do about thirty to forty evictions a month. Okay, and what okay. I can tell you is there is a process that needs to be followed. Um, does this person still have Sorry, a lease? Sorry, just hold on one second. Um, Charlene, could you switch your radio off in the background there, please? Uh, I have my radio off. I have it down completely. In fact, I'm on the other end of the house. Okay, because oh. we can hear ourselves because coming back. Because are you back. getting feedback? Yes, we are, which is okay. why I'm, why I'm uh, asking. Just hold on for me. I don't know if my daughter put the radio off. Okay, right. there's no... Okay, now can you hear me? Yeah, no, I, that's if, much better. If, okay, I, get to hear myself, if I get to hear myself, I get to George Double. He hasn't paid me any rent for the past three months. But was there's there a no lease? paperwork, nothing. No, no, let me, let me take, take you back. Was there a lease agreement with this tenant? Uh, I had no... I just She just moved in, she just stayed, and she paid me my rent at the end of every month. So there was a lease agreement? There is no lease no, agreement. We didn't have any. No, there is no paperwork between us. If she's paying, it doesn't Nothing. matter. If she's paying every month and you're accepting that as rental, there's a lease agreement. Obviously, it's not a written lease agreement. It's a month-to-month -month lease agreement, which, based on the early advice I gave, she needs to get a month's notice. 
in order to end her occupation, because she she is there by virtue of the fact that you've accepted rental. The minute you take money from her, you are acquiescing to the fact that she has a right to be there, even if she doesn't. So what you need to do is you need to give her appropriate notice. You can't threaten. You can't go to the police. The police don't want to get involved in a civil matter. They say civil matter. Yes. She needs to get a letter saying, hi there, you're in my property. You don't have a right to be there. But even if you did have a right, I'm giving you a month's notice to leave. If you don't leave at the end of the month, which would be the end of February, if you give the letter by no later than the 1st of February, if she does not leave by the end of February, she is what we call an unlawful occupier. If she's an unlawful oh. occupier, you are entitled to bring an application to evict her in terms of the Pi Act. That is the yes, only yes, legal way. Okay, and I'm telling oh. you that now because this is what we do. Um, that Pi Act will enable you to bring an application to evict her. If she does oh, okay. not leave, the court will grant order against her. And I assure you, if the court gives that order and she doesn't accept that order. The sheriffs will come there with a truck and a locksmith and they will forcibly remove her. So that's what you need to do. It's very, very simple. Any eviction lawyer up in your area should be able to guide you on that. There doesn't need to be criminal injuria and insults and criminal action. That's not going to bring you anything but potentially some vindication that she's got some criminal action pending against her. But that's not going to get her out of the property. The only way to get out of the property is a court order in terms of the Pi Act. It's the only way in South African law. All right. Thank so, you very much. Thanks so much, Charlene. Good luck to you. All right, then. Bye. Bye-bye now. So, basi- basically, you, it's a month's notice. If it's a month to month lease, if, of course, it is a proper lease agreement in terms of... Like an annual thing. Yes, annual thing. Then you've got to give 20 business days before you can cancel. Section 14 of the Consumer Protection Act, which overrides the Rental Housing Act and overrides the Unfair Practice Regulations, says you cannot cancel a lease until 20 days have expired and it's working business weekdays business days okay so it's a month so it's a month and then after the month if they don't get out that is when you go and that's when you write a letter saying your lease is now cancelled or you no longer have a right to be there you've got a week to leave or two weeks to leave or you can say i'm going to launch the eviction application right now oh there's no you you don't have to wait you can actually do it after that month if they don't move and the reason why i say that is because if you do launch an eviction application inevitably they get notice of that so they get another month in any event so i wouldn't delay (laughs) Right, so one month's notice, they don't move, tell them you're going to evict them. You then What do, what do you do? You go where to, to start launching this whole eviction thing? You pick up the phone and you call Marlon Chevrolet and Associates. No, <laughs> in <laughs> order to, the, the simple, simple thing is a letter of demand. Hi there, you've got 20 days to, to pay up or to leave. It depends on the, on the nature of the lease. If it's a month-to-month lease, hi there, leave on a month's notice. If it's a twi- If it's an annual lease... 20 days, hi there, you've got 20 days to pay and to remedy your breach. If you don't remedy your breach, we're going to cancel your lease. Okay. If they don't remedy their breach, you write a letter saying, hi there, 20 days have passed, you haven't paid your rent, your lease is not cancelled, please leave. If they don't leave, that's when you go to your attorney and you ask them to prepare an eviction application. Okay, and from there it just all starts happening and the sheriff will eventually arrive if they don't leave and you you don't have to do anything. Who? The landlord? No, you, the sheriff will come. So what I'm saying is don't start you getting involved no, because you will be no. the one in the next minute sitting in court being accused of all sorts of things. The so next thing, if the landlord does anything, if the landlord gets involved in any shape or format and commits an unfair rental practice that tries to lock them out, whatever, it's the worst thing. It basically gives the tenant the necessary armory to delay the eviction process. So just control yourselves. Hand it to the as lawyer. As much as you would love to probably for. do something like that, lock the doors or whatever, don't get involved. It's not safe As to tempting do as it is. Right. Desiree in Durban, good evening. Good evening, Karen, and to your guests there. How can we help, Desiree? Um, Karen, 
I've got a little bit of a dilemma I've worried about. I paid off my flat about two years ago, and I don't have the title deeds because the bank said to me, no, leave the title deeds at the bank. It's safer. But I'm a little bit worried that should my husband and I both pass away and my only son is overseas and married, how would he know that the flat is paid off if it's not with the will? Desiree, I'm going to jump in and answer that for you. Um, I, I I fairly often have clients approach me and say, I've paid my bond up. Uh, shall I cancel it and get my title deeds back from the bank? And my advice is always, no, don't do that. Leave it right where it is. It uh, costs you, though. They charge. There's nothing that you get it back for nothing. I mean, they charge you to give it back to you. Well, the, right, yeah. the bond has to be cancelled, and the, the, mm. the, the costs of cancellation of the bond are relatively insignificant. But beyond that... The reason uh, I suggest leaving a bond in place is you've, you've paid attorneys in the beginning to register that bond for you. The bank's been prepared to grant you the finance uh, that is secured by the bond. And that facility, generally speaking, will remain available to you. So if you've got a 200,000 rand bond registered or you know whatever the size of your bond that, that's registered, if it's paid up, that facility is available to you. So should you need to draw against that, you can approach the bank and obtain an advance on that bond. That's the, the first reason. Um, and then just to address your concern regarding your son and, and the, uh, the fact that he may not know, remember that that mortgage bond is a, a document registered at a deeds registry. And the second a, a deed search is run, it will show that you are the owners of the property, that there's a bond registered against the property. It'll have the document number and the institution. So, um, you know, it will be very easily traced down. You don't need to, to, to worry. Even if you were to die intestate without a will, uh, it would be very easy to track back to who holds the bond and where the title deed is. So uh, just leave it as it is? I would recommend leaving it as it is. Fantastic that you've paid the bond up. The bank's probably, if anything, they're charging you a very small administration fee every month. But uh, I think in a lot of cases, not even that. So it's costing you nothing. You've got a facility available to you should you ever need to to, to make use of it, and there's there's accurate records. So I would I would uh, don't don't lose any sleep on it. Um, well done for paying the flat up. That's fantastic. Enjoy it. Let the, it sit. the other thing, Desiree, maybe just write a note and put it in in an envelope wherever your will. If you have a copy of your will, put a note in there with your will. If that'll that'll help at all. Yes, I think I'll do that. Okay, so there you know. They will find it anyway, but if you want to just make doubly sure, just pop a note into the envelope where your will is, and so that, that's with your will. Okay, I'll do that. Thanks so much for your advice. Okay, Desiree. Thank you, Dan. Good, good night. Bye-bye now. Ma Maria in Cape Town, good evening. Hello. Hello. Um, I bought a property um, a year and two, three months ago. I think it transferred to my name. Um, it's part of a, a body corporate, but it's... It's not run like a body corporate. It's an old house that was subdivided into units that they sold off. So we don't pay any levies, and um, each owner maintains the unit. There's no common um, areas. There's no special use areas. You can paint whatever you want to paint. You can even like have whatever um, balustrades or walling or fencing that you would like to have. Um, when we bought the property, it was said to us that the estate agent said that we can... Um, do with the property and renovate it the way we want it because all the owners do what they want to do with their properties. So when we took our plans to be approved by the neighbours, um, 
one of the neighbours, two of the um, four owners said yes and the one um, owner said no. Um, they're not in agreement with our plans because they say it's um, a changing the structure and they're not happy with it. Um, but they are also trying, they have also submitted plans to council for approval, although their plans are being contested by um, neighbours, not part of the body, body corporate. Although if the plans are approved, and at the time of the, when we bought the property, it wasn't disclosed to us that um, plans has been submitted for, for any changes to the property. Um, so what are we to do? I know it's a body corporate, and if the other owners doesn't give approval, then obviously we can't continue. Or do we have a right? Is it even a body corporate if you don't pay any levies? Yes. Okay. So I can, Maria, from the facts you, you presented, uh, I'm pretty certain that what you've got is uh, it is a sectional title scheme. So uh, it may have been a house that's been divided into the various components and you may have three or four sections uh, within that. And an SS number would have been assigned to that in the deeds registry. And so you are a, a, an owner in a sectional scheme. Yeah. The fact that you don't pay levies, is you know, it's just an informal scheme and there are many of them in Cape Town. Um, uh, but it is nonetheless a sectional scheme. So that's the, f the first sort of the foundation. Now, in terms of making improvements and, and um, changing the structure or, or, or submitting plans, the first step would be to have an amending sectional plan registered at the deeds office, which involves a land surveyor surveying the, the, the change, it would change the participation quota, which is what a levy is calculated on. In your case, that's of no significance. But um, that amending sectional plan would need to be adopted effectively by the body corporate, the owners in the scheme. So the other three, uh, how many did you say there were? There are okay. four. There are four, yeah. And it needs to be adopted by a special resolution, 75%. So three of the four owners is going to be sufficient to get that amending sectional plan passed. But what if, what if there's of which one is us. So in other words, it's actually only three. Do you need 100% then, or does two out of three count as majority? No, no, and you the third. So remember, you, you Wait, know... So we're the fourth. You, you're the fourth, exactly. So you've got the... You've got the you, you also cast your vote. So three oh, out of the four is going to give you your 75%, and you can pass that resolution. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, it's, not all, it's not all forlorn. You can, in fact, move ahead, pass that, that, uh, that resolution. Um, yeah... Obviously, if they've got concerns regarding the structure, etc., that that needs to be addressed on yeah. a structural basis. But I'm talking now purely technically and from a, a sectional title point of view. Um, you 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 know what you're going to need to do is a little bit of homework. Get hold of the Sectional Titles Act and look at the section that relates to uh, the extension of a section, which is what you're looking at doing. Right. So Thank get on the much. internet, download a copy of the Act, and have a look at the section dealing with. Um, uh, extension to sections and, and, and see what it says there. Thank you so very much. Okay, Maria, good luck to you. Light at the end of the yeah, it sounds like it, and it's not a speeding train. It is actually is light. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, Chris in Peter Marisburg, good evening. Hi, good evening, uh, Karen and the team. Hi, Chris, how can we help you? Yeah, um, I, I live in Peter Marisburg, and my daughter is now qualified, and we, uh, and we have to find an apartment in... Uh, but we had done this during the holiday, and most of the agents uh, with flats and all were not available. So we found one, and uh, she's, 
suddenly my daughter realized that she's not very comfortable there and she's insecure. But I had signed a, a, the lease for a year. Is it possible for us to pull out of it now? <laughs> um, very, very simply put, yes. Um, before the Consumer Protection Act, I would have said no. The problem that you have is that if you want to extricate yourself from a lease, whatever the reason is, you are entitled to give 20 business days notice. And that can be done arbitrarily. You don't even need to have a reason. The only problem that you're going to have is that you will be hit with what we call a reasonable cancellation penalty. That's also in terms of Section 14. And that's read together with Section 5 of the final regulations to the Consumer Protection Act. Now, there's no clear definition in the courts or in the tribunals, anywhere, as to what a reasonable cancellation penalty is. But the way it's perceived by the Rental Housing Tribunal in the Western Cape, I'm not certain if it's up in your area, if it's read the same, but there will be a penalty which would be the potential loss that the landlord will suffer because of your daughter's early extrication from the lease. But that landlord will still need to go and try and find a new tenant, which is what we call mitigating his or her loss. So the simple answer is yes, you can leave. There's nothing the landlord can do to keep your daughter in the lease, but there will potentially be um, a penalty. Yeah, and because the penalty, what, what percentage of the rental? There is no... Until they get a tenant or... It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. In, in the draft regulations, Krish, there was a, a declaration there that it was a maximum of 10% of the balance of the rental period. There is no longer any percentage reflected in the Consumer Protection Act, and you're not going to find any help in any... Of the, of the regulations or the Rental Housing Act. What I can tell you from, from word of mouth and from, from doing this every single day is that potentially a month's rental would be the penalty. If, I don't mind. I don't mind that loss. If, if it's I a month, come I, out of it. I failed to see why anything. And I'll tell you something even more interesting, Krish. If, for example, you do tender a month as a reasonable penalty and this landlord goes ahead and finds a new tenant the next day, you do not have to pay the penalty. <laughs> the landlord can't benefit on the one way and on the other. So if yeah. there's no provision for a reasonable cancellation penalty, I would tender a month, and if they don't want that, I would leave and tell them to go to the Consumer Protection Tribunal, the, the National Consumer Commissioner. So a penalty, and the maximum a month, I would say. And 20 working okay. days notice, Chris. 20 working days okay. notice. what do I have to do to terminate this? You simply have to write a letter saying, I'm, um, I'm the tenant and I hereby give notice, 20 business days notice that I'll be vacating the property. The nice thing about this is it doesn't have to be on the first of the month. It doesn't have to be okay. a calendar 20 days notice. So if you give notice tomorrow, 29th of January, I want to leave in 20 business days time. There's nothing the landlord can do to say yes or no. That's it. They'll probably come back and say, well, Chris, your daughter must pay a penalty. And you say, right, what's the penalty? And I tender a month or whatever amount you feel is fair. Bearing in mind that this landlord, of course, is entitled to be paid his rental. He's probably got a bond to pay. So, you know, you need to factor that all into consideration, but you can't stop your daughter leaving, and that's the good news. I'm just worried about that year lease. I was told I'm, it's a late year lease and I'm bound and I'm liable for that. Who, who, told, who told you that, Chris? The, the agent? Yes. The well, agent's wrong. Yes, agent's wrong. <laughs> agent's wrong. Correct. Tell well, I'm right, the agent's wrong. <laughs> yeah, she, she, you guys are really up. I fully appreciate your help. Absolute pleasure, Chris. And if, if the okay. agent gives you any more trouble, you just call us back next time and um, we'll put you in touch with Marlon. He's in Cape Town, I'm, though. But uh, basically, tell the agent to have a look at the Consumer Protection Act. Section 14. Section 14 of the Section Consumer, of the consumer Protection it. Act. Or maybe go look it up yourself before you speak to them. And then you can quote it to them if they come back at you with the, 
story about uh, your where client. Do I, where, where, where do I get the document to look at it? In fact, if you if you pop an email to to Karen, I'll make sure that the Consumer Protection Act uh, is made available. In it's fact, actually on it's on the Facebook page on the Law on SAFM Facebook page. If you or drop me an email to law at safm.co.za, just drop me an email, Krish, and I will forward I, I will forward you a copy of that tomorrow morning. Okay. Karen, uh, once again, thank you very much. I truly appreciate your help. Only a pleasure. I certainly feel a lot uh, better now. Great. And uh, what's your email? Once, or it's Karen at no, 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 no. It's just law at safm.co.za. Law at safm. Okay, thank you. Thanks, guys. I truly appreciate your help. Okay, Thanks, Chris. Good luck. Good okay, night to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Love these bye. agents here. Just, and and see, unfortunately, people like Chris think, well, the agent knows what they're talking about. So uh, I'm re- stuck now. I represent a lot of these agents. In fact, most of them uh, are, are, are clients or if I look at representing tenants as opposed to landlords, I usually look after a lot more landlords than tenants. And I still am continually surprised by the... the lack of knowledge. Or the lack of knowledge or the... the they turn a gentle... I'm, gentle, I'm trying to be polite here. You know, the, the truth <laughs> is that I, I'm, I'm thrilled of the lack of knowledge. If oh, I knew everything, you? I wouldn't have a you job. You wouldn't have a job. So. True. Right, let's see if we can squeeze one more call in. We're getting very close to the end of the show. Lydia in Pretoria, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Fine, thanks, Lydia. How are you? I'm fine too. Uh, I just want to find out. Last year, my husband did call you in connection with a house that, like, when you talk about uh, you settled your bond and then the bank keeps the title deed. Yes. What happened? The bank kept our title deed and then we were starting a business. We went to the bank and then. We were advised to withdraw money from the bond. Okay. That one was a risk to us because by then nobody was working between me and my husband. And then the bank, what they did when we struggled to pay, like the need analysis were not done and we were not aware of that. And then until such time when we start to struggle to pay, then they start uh, the the manager sent our case to their attorneys, and then they compile the summons and send them to us, and then default of judgment send it to us, and then meantime we went to the bank, treat with them. They say okay, continue to try to pay, and because of we were distressed, we couldn't notice that. The summons they are talking about the loans that we had before, like the, from the beginning. They stated the old dates, like the 2007-96 stuff like that. They don't mention the new loan that we took 2010-2011. Now we discover that these people they are telling us that we are owing them, but they talk about the old loans. So the second, so our bond is split into two accounts. So the first one, the second one, we said, okay, it's fine. We can go to the court, and then we'll defend ourselves from court because, according to this one, we owe you nothing. We are only owing you for the new bond that we took in 2010. Then the document was missing in the bank. We struggled to get the document until. My husband passed away last year. So right now my husband has passed away. And then um, 
I received a letter from different attorneys stating that uh, the account now has been referred to the estate, but according to the statement, it was a joint bond. So my name is no longer there. They, they are talking about the estate. So I don't know the estate. If one passed away, then the account doesn't fall automatically on me or what is happening. Okay, Lydia, we've so literally got Lydia, we've got a minute left before the show's over. Is there one particular question very briefly because we're not gonna get through much more of that? Okay. Lydia, now, how how are you married? How were you married in community of property or, or did you have an anti nuptial contract? In community. Okay. So the the problem now, uh, Frank, it just literally we've got a 40, yeah. 30 seconds. The, the <clears throat> estate's going to need to be wound up, and of course, any liability, any exposure under the mortgage bond uh, would need to be settled uh, from liquidity in the estate. Uh, or, Lydia, uh, you can assume the liability under the mortgage bond. Of course, the bank will assess the affordability criterion, etc. And um, uh, no doubt you are the, um, the uh, beneficiary in terms of your husband's uh, will. Or if you died in test, that you'd be the, the beneficiary. So the property could be transferred to you, but you would need to take over the liability in terms of that bond. I'm afraid I can't offer you much more than that. Lydia, and I'm so sorry we have come to the end of the show, so we can't unfortunately discuss this further any further. But next time, maybe if you get through a little earlier, we could help you. Apologies to Adrian in Rudaport and Karim in Durban. The shows always end way too fast. But my thanks once again this evening to Marlon Chevalier. He's an attorney practicing in Cape Town as Marlon Chevalier and Associates, and Frank Holland an attorney and conveyancer also practicing in Cape Town as Frank Holland and Associates. And they've been my guests on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Thank you both very much indeed for joining me. Thanks, Corin. Thank you, Corin. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Bagram. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 3rd of February. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with Health Matters, so join me then. Before we go, just a reminder, there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. Or you could email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you the list and you can choose which documents you'd like. Well, Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.